Tom Gaffey. Jim Ages. Phoenix Theater. Yes, it is. On the stage. Tonight we welcome three artists. Yeah, there's not a lot of room up here because this is three big people up here, for crying out loud. Larger than life happening right here on this stage for everybody to see, except for, you know, they can't. Three guys who do a lot of art in their adult life, did a lot of art in their younger days here at the Phoenix. There's a lot of connections here tonight and a lot of history. So we welcome... Sam Gerhard, Ricky Watts, and Jared Powell to the program. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Three old, old dear friends of the Phoenix, for crying out loud. So you all have a, a fairly strong foundation in spray paint and graffiti art. The most notable piece like that in Petaluma is on the south side of this building, which is Ricky's Mural. If you live in Petaluma and you're listening to this program in or around Petaluma, you've probably seen that huge piece that's on the south end of the building. Which, and if you haven't, you should. And it's a really beautiful piece funded from a Kickstarter program that Ricky put out there and How much money was raised to make that piece, Ricky? $6,500. I thought for sure when that was going up that people were going to be mumbling and grumbling. And it has been like universal luck. I haven't heard one complaint about it. Have you guys seen an evolution in the response to the art that you make in the last 10 years? Yeah. And Tom, have you? You know what? As soon as you asked that question, I looked at these guys, I realized the responses come on all sides. It's not just a response from the people that are regarding the graffiti. It's also a response and a growth from the artists themselves. I think now in this day and age, I think having places to paint like the Phoenix Theater, it helps control it in a way. You can come down here and and paint and and no one's going to hassle you, you know? way back when there wasn't those kind of places. I think that the acceptance of graffiti is both good and bad in all avenues of it for the art elevating itself. It's certainly having more legal places and or more places where it's pseudo acceptable. And possibly a chance that you can market your art a little easier right. too. Um, Absolutely. And then there's more documentation of it and it can be online instantly. And then some of the older writers that have been around for long enough that do promote themselves as artists as well. You know, their secret identity is open and out in the public more. And they're just as much of a celebrity as, you know, anyone else. I mean, Shepard is on TMZ, you know, like... He made the poster for the president. Yeah. So I I feel it's so accepted now to be... What? uh, But at the uh, same time... If artist made a poster for the president? Yeah. Sweet. You know that Hope poster? It's got Obama's face yeah. with like just the blues and the reds. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it, it's uh, probably a double-edged sword. Is that a good thing, a bad yeah. thing? Yeah, I mean, it, de- it depends how you look at it. Yeah. It's the evolution. It is the evolution. Yeah. And, and you it, can't fight it. No, that's and the beauty of it. You really can't. It depends on what you want graffiti to be or do for you. Yeah, does it make it less appealing? Does the medium become less appealing to you, to any of you because it is more mainstream now? I started doing graffiti in 7th uh, and 8th grade and it was because it was the cool thing to do. Like all the kids had a, an alias and I said, well, I need an alias, you know. I've got to fit in, right? Because at that age, you're just dying to fit in. Yeah. And so I happened to enjoy doing art and so it just kind of clicked. Jared brought a graffiti magazine to class in eighth grade, and that blew my mind because that was these big elaborate productions. And I said, that's 
what I want to do. Like that was just the ultimate for me. And so from that day on, that was the point that I was trying to get to was painting these big elaborate pieces. It was just a way for me to fit in, I think. Ricky and Jared, how long have you known each other? We met in fourth fourth grade. Fourth grade, yeah, we were 10 years old. Yeah, so Jared uh, and I, we were our first graffiti partners, I guess. Yeah. Uh, probably eighth grade. And so we would both sneak out from our bedrooms at night and we'd meet up in the park and then we'd go on a rampage. And uh, we had a lot of good memories um, <laughs> back then. But yeah, I think we both really influenced each other's art for sure. Well, that's interesting because I was talking to Sam before the show and Sam told me that you guys served as big influences for him. Right. That's yeah. why I wanted to have Sam on the show is just to kind of have that next generation. Describe that, Sam. I mean, like you grew up, and they're they're a little older than you, right? Yeah, I mean, they were they were the guys up at the uh, scrapyards, and they were up all over, and it was this huge influence. Uh, it was really interesting. Both of their styles actually um, were different from what the normal kind of uh, tagging was. And I think with graffiti, I think finding the location, figuring out how to get away with it, or get up to it or down or around or wherever, you know, depending. Um, graffiti takes you into a lot of strange places that a lot of people have never been and probably never will be. Um, but there's a rush so, in that, I would assume. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's exploration. And at first it was just, you know, word of mouth and exploration. And then as the internet came along, you could just go on Google Maps and like, oh, it looks like there's an abandoned building out this road. Let's drive out there and see. And finding, like, caps and stuff back then. <laughs> and it, it was, we would, like, save up all this money. It was a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah. And it would be, it was, like, the weird thing. You, like, you get this address that this person has these tips to change the width of the spray paint. And then you kind of just would blindly send it off. You send cash in the mail. Send, yeah, cash in the mail. <laughs> Hoping that they'd send you caps How back. Often did you, so were these... Were these it's like uh, an underground market kind of for these homemade things? caps? No, it's just people that knew how to get to the suppliers. Yeah. This was before the internet, and so yeah. you couldn't just go on a website and say, I need 100 caps, please, and they would just send them to you. I mean, way back when, you had to steal the caps off of different house cleaners and different automotive cans and stuff like that. And so we would go to Kmart and just clean out the entire like oven cleaner cans. And so, <laughs> and so how many people were pissed off because they would buy their oven cleaner and they would get home and there'd be no, no cap, cap on, on there. It. Yeah, the ways that we had to acquire and learn everything in graffiti was... Yeah, because before you could determine you needed this particular style cap off this particular uh, style of, of oven cleaner, you needed to know what type of throw that cap was actually giving you, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you would just go down the aisle of stores, and like I didn't really care that much. If I was with my parents shopping, I'd be like opening stuff and being like, oh, is this going to work? Like, oh, that... You know. It was all trial and error back then. Yeah. There was no YouTube video yeah. that shows you how to do like, it. It was all figure it out yeah. for yourself. You're like trying to clean clogged caps. Right. and Paint thinner, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, everything back then, it's to find places to paint, to find like different colors. I remember we would, it was like a back of a zine where they told us how to mix oh, God. paint. And that was a... That was a game changer. That was a... For yeah. sure. It was also a very big mess. Yeah, it was messy. So all this um, stuff then, Sam, like being eight years younger than them, this is probably foreign to you, right? Because at your disposal, you've had the internet and things to just order this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think I was right on that edge and definitely saw like the helmet head zines and like saw the physical kind of 
aspects that were coming out of their generation. But yeah, you were right at where it was like people were still kind of keeping secrets, but not as it was getting a little bit looser. Yeah, and then it got it just blew up, and it was like. Helmetheads was a zine that I made back in the 1990s. That was your that was your zine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that was a graffiti zine that I made. One so that people would send me photos for free, <laughs> and two so that I had something to give to my friends at school, and that was just something that I just wanted to do. And so I would take photos and I would cut them out, and then I would paste them on pages, and then I would go to Kinkos and photocopy them, and then put these zines together. Um, and I think I made about 13 issues over eight or nine years. And I never did it for money. I just did it just because it was fun and it was something to be able to give to people. And then how far did they go circulation-wise? I n- never really made more than 100 to 200 copies of it. But it was always um, a big occasion, actually. When you'd come out with one, we'd hear about it. Everybody would know about it. Yeah, locally, I think they were a lot of fun. But yeah, I don't were. think it made it very far. But in the community, it meant something. Yeah. Tell us about how the murals and the art of the Phoenix got started. Um, wow. It started with an instructor at Geyserville High School, as well as Sonoma State. His name was Fernando Nugent, a senior. He has a son also named Fernando, who's still living in Petaluma. And Fernando came to us and asked if he could do some murals on the wall with the kids that hung out down here. And, you know, we thought that'd be, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Let's, let's try it and see. In those days, it was all paintbrushes and acrylics. And even uh, Mike Greek, Big Mike, asked, well, can we use spray paint? Well, of course you can't use spray paint. What? You're going to do art with spray paint? What? No, you can't do that. That's ridiculous. I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> so they, the first set of paintings down here were all brushes and acrylics, and they would take weeks to do. We were letting them do big pieces on the walls, and uh, it would take a long time to finish these things. And it took me probably maybe one or two more generations before I realized. I think it was watching Ricky and, and uh, Jared and that crew that, my God, the art you can do, what you can do with a can and the tips, holy cow, the depth you can bring out and the quality of the paint that they were beginning to make available to you. It's, uh, it's one of the most embarrassing points in my artistic career, not giving those guys the chance to use spray earlier because I was absolutely closed-minded and wrong about that. There's, it's one of the best mediums out there, I think. And when you look at the piece that Ricky did on our back wall and you see the longevity that that piece is getting uh, in that sunshine, holy cow, and the details that you can get with this stuff. My God, incredible stuff. Yeah, some of my first graffiti pieces uh, were done here in the Phoenix. And I think that's really what ties all three of us together as artists is that Tom gave us some of our very first walls to paint. Um, and I think for the three of us, I think, some of our very first pieces were done down here. No matter how vibrant and beautiful and amazing graffiti is, some people just see a word on a wall and they just don't like it. But they're fine with Starbucks and McDonald's ramming it down their throat every second that they drive. But Coca-Cola. Yeah. Those companies aren't doing anything different than we are. And in fact, a lot of them are stealing our ideas and using now, them for marketing. Absolutely. Now they are. You know, buses are wrapped top to bottom Yes. With advertisement now, that didn't come from a genius guy that wears a three-piece suit. That came from the graffiti kid intern that was like, why don't you just do the whole bus? So <laughs> creating art here was kind of like an art school for you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, how much formal education do the three of you have in art? Sam's got the most. Yeah. 
Yeah, I went to UC Berkeley and studied <laughs> art practice there. And I took art classes in high school, but I never really thought that I could be a professional artist and, and make a living from it. And so when I went to college, I chose to go into graphic design. Um, and so I have a degree in graphic design. But as soon as I got out of college, I went right back to painting and drawing because that was really what I was passionate about. And then I took a few JC classes, but I never, f I think I finished one semester. Is there value in that for a young artist who wants to go into it? Or is something like this a community where you can learn and teach and have it be more informal? Is that more valuable? I think it really depends on the person. I think that you learn so much more from being around people that are better than you and trying to learn from them. For me, school stuff never really clicked until way later. And then I was like, I should go to art school. Wait, I would just end up doing what I'm doing now with a piece of paper that says, you're good at art. Um, I have a lot of pieces of paper that say I'm good at art. I drew them. So, but I do value, I do value school a lot. And I think that it works really well for some people. Um, it just didn't work for me, but I think that there's a certain value in both someone that you look up to telling you that you totally fucking suck. And then later them saying like, Oh, you're all right. And then eventually being like, Oh, do you want to paint with me? Cause that's pretty much everyone's graffiti career that keeps doing it some kids just stop at oh you fucking suck before i went there I, I was making a lot of art and i felt really uh it was authentic and genuine and then i went there and they have these things called critiques where you show up and they say why are you doing what you're doing and you're like well i don't know i'm just doing what i'm doing and they say well it's not good enough or it's not a part of the art canon or art history or who are you they're just more polite about it uh a lot of them aren't actually polite what? about it and a lot of them rip you apart and make you not want to make art so yeah, but the way they do it is not the way that jared described it they're they're trying to have you it approach it from another way like uh the it's, people the people you're talking about jared just say like the piece you just made sucks yeah. it's just not good they don't care where it came from. yeah right? while they're painting over it and yeah. punching <laughs> you in the face yeah do you find your experiences at berkeley to be valuable and are you glad you did it Definitely. I, I think that they opened my eyes to a whole different way of art making and reason uh, conceptually backed as well as uh, the art history aspect of where art's been. And then I was able to bring my experience of outsider art and, and graffiti art and see that that is part of the whole art history and, you know, from Basquiat all the way up yeah. to where we are now. Um, so I definitely wasn't just the regular art student there I, w I was definitely pushing edges but um i saw i saw value in how they were trying to uh educate absolutely and then when you get right down to it i assume you got a lot of technique training in that mixing of colors and and how to use your uh, your mediums and all of that i feel like i learned color theory through graffiti more Son so a gun. yeah absolutely okay yeah, yeah me too me too and then so ricky your experience in going to school you found it valuable uh, you know, I didn't get out um, of school what I thought I was going to get out of it. I went for the, so I enrolled at uh, the Advertising Arts College down in San Diego. And a year through my schooling, uh, the school got bought out by the Art Institute of California. And the, the president of the school came in and he said, everything's going to stay the same and nothing's going to change. And 
And within three months, they had flipped the school upside down. The one thing that I do regret about not going to a fine art school is that they really help you learn how to talk about your art. And so the critiques, I think, are really valuable, for one, because they take you out of your comfort zone and they really kind of force you to maybe experiment with something else or to try something differently. I totally agree with that. I'm horrible at talking about it. So to this day, you still have uh, some issues talking about it, Jared. Yeah, I just had a show at the museum in Santa Rosa, and people want to talk to you about why you made something, or I could explain it, but I don't think I can explain it in a way that's going to click with them. And most of the stuff I did was, it's all abstract. Do you feel your style continues to evolve, or do you feel that you hit a stride at a certain point and you're just perfecting that style? Uh, I like to say that I still experiment with, uh, with, uh, with different things, but I've also learned that if you want to really make a name for yourself in the art world, you have to do a style for, for 10 years and really just pound and pound and pound that style so that you become known for that style. And so that people will see it and they will automatically know that it's you. Um, but I still think that it's important to try new things and new techniques and really evolve because once you stop evolving, then things get boring, you know, and you really kind of slow down your progression. I feel art is an investigation or an exploration. And so you're constantly finding new ways of describing something, but we all are habitual beings. So we tend to do things in a certain way. Uh, So I'm always making art in different ways, but, there is that being said uh, of having a style that is repetitive and it's a ritual for us to make art. So we tend to do the similar things when we do that. But I feel there's, there's these moments where you do find something else and you're like, wow, that's, that's actually what I've been trying to get to and trying to do. Well, for me, if I'm not learning something new or trying something new, it's kind of boring to me and I don't want to do it. But at the same time, that something new could just be how I mix the water or how I, you know, laid the canvas or it could be just technical things as well. Trying to make art your occupation can provide a lot of hardships. Have your families always been supportive in you guys pursuing art as a career? Yes. Uh, My parents have been amazing. My dad is a painter, but he... Uh, painted a lot and he drew when he was a kid a lot and he was the the firstborn son in a little uh, Midwest town of Cody, Nebraska and My grandfather his dad uh, he ran a bank and so he was very Formal and I wouldn't say uptight, but but he wanted the best for his kids perhaps less supportive, right? And so he sent uh, my dad off to prep school for high school and so he went to um, New Hampshire for high school. And then as soon as he was done with high school, he was shipped off to Stanford. And so he never really got a chance to pursue art. And I feel that me pursuing art is really my dad living out, uh, his dream of doing art through me. And so I think that's really special. And I cherish that very much. I mean, Jared, your father eventually evolved on the subject, but it was a point of contention as you were growing up, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I guess I was pretty secretive about it. And then my family was never like, sit around the dinner table and what'd you do today? It was just, we, I guess we kind of did that, but I I don't know. It wasn't like... They did it, you didn't so much. Yeah. um, 
And then especially with starting really getting into art through graffiti, I wanted everything to be so secret because I didn't want them to know what I was doing, which only worked for a few years until I got arrested. Yeah, my parents weren't super stoked on me painting. My mom was a little bit more supportive. So all through high school, I don't know that my dad came to an art show that I had until, shit, I don't even know when. I was probably in my 20s. Um, And by that time, I had been tattooing, which was a huge point of um, me me saying telling him that I wanted to be a tattoo artist Um, I had just moved back from New York where I did nothing but paint graffiti I had moved back and I had gotten an offer to apprentice to learn how to tattoo and his answer was cool you can do that after you work at the garbage company and I said what and he was like well if you want to be a tattoo artist you have to work at the garbage company and you have to work from, you know, three or four in the morning until whenever you're done. And then you can go and do whatever the hell you want with your free Does time. Does he work at the garbage company? Yeah. Okay. So he was going to um, get you a job there. He ran it. And um, I was helping my friends at the skate shop run that and um, working at the garbage company. And then... Oh, so you did do the garbage company? Yeah. I worked anywhere between 2 and 4 a.m. And then I would try to make it so that I got done with all my work at the garbage company at about... 10 or 11 go home take a shower be at the tattoo shop between 11 15 and 11 30 get it all set up to open at noon work until seven i did all the front counter stuff and then if i wanted to actually do tattoos i had to do them after the shop was closed because you're learning and so i would then tattoo sometimes until midnight or later and then wake up at two o'clock in the morning and do it all again. Go to the garbage company and do it all over again. I'm hating your life at that point. I fucking hated it. And I hated my dad. And I was so pissed. Like, like we didn't talk. I mean, well, we talked, but not like... It was I, My dad and I are like best friends now. But then it was, we're so much the same. And he actually told me a couple of years ago, he's like, I'm fucking proud of you. Because I made it really fucking hard for you. And I did not want you to do it. And now you're an artist for a living and you're a tattoo artist and I get tattoos from you and I have your art hanging on my wall and people think I went out and found this artist and paid all this money for these giant paintings, but it was just you painting in my fucking garage. (laughs) And had he not made me work like that really crazy, I wouldn't be as prolific as I am. I wouldn't have the same kind of work ethic where when I was done working at the garbage company, then it was like, Oh, I have all this free time so I can paint too. And I can do graffiti and I can do fine art and I can go find a place and say, Hey, I'm going to throw art shows here and just throw art shows and curate shows and work just kind of nonstop. Obviously the concern always comes from family about how is my child going to make it out there in the world? You know? Yeah. There's business models that they know that we could make money doing because they're doing it and they're supporting a family and that's what they want us to do it should be a concern because making it as an artist is very hard to do yeah. you know most artists have another gig or another job that supports them being able to do art very few artists can actually make a good living off of just doing art my family's always been uh, supportive of me and making art it kind of touches on how or where you come from and what world you're living in so 
my I actually hold the same degree as my father does. He went to UC Berkeley and got a degree in art 30 years before me. And so his paradigm is that this works and there's there's no problem with it. So it's always been supportive. And to make the bridge though into commercial art, I'm still exploring that and trying to find the balance between doing what I want to do and doing something for someone else. So that's a difficulty, but I, I feel that you have something uh, special or something unique as an artist and people always want that. At any given point, have any of you thought, all right, that's it. I'm going to go off and do something more financially stable. I think that every day, but I don't do it. Uh, I think about it pretty often. Yeah. But I've, I've always, well, for the last, uh, five years I've been self-employed just through doing art. And I feel like now I've, I've gone too far to, to turn around and go back to the nine to five working for somebody else and making them money. And so now I, I just stick with it and I, I try, I try new things and, and, um, I just, just keep, keep plugging away. Sam, what are you doing now? Well, I have a day job, but I, I still see that the way in which I work, like I do landscaping right now, and the way in which I do that, I use the artistic eye, and instead of layering paint on canvas, I'm layering mulch and plants and you know irrigation. And um, I really learned how to talk about art through school, so I'm just like talking about how I'm doing things and why I'm doing it and and the more um, conceptual backing as to why you're doing what you're doing because um, a lot of people don't really even think about what they're doing. You know, the way you butter your toast, it's, you know, at a certain point you're like, oh, I like this technique or like, <laughs> right. you know, it's just fun. I mean, it, it's about obscurity and, and oddity and you kind of understand that art is not just the painting. It's the way in which you do the painting or, you know, they used to call things like the art of cooking Sandwich or making. the art of <laughs> yeah. uh, drowning, you know, what, whatever it is, it, it, there is an art in which you do it. That subject I think is really hard to explain to people that the process is just as, and if not many times more important than the end result, especially when it comes to graffiti. I feel that, there's so much preparation and process into getting into a train yard and painting a train or even more like an active subway. It's not just like some bummy kid that is just like making a mess on things. I know that it's perceived that way, but if you watch the European videos of people getting into a train yard, there's so much thought into every single step that they're doing and the way that they prepare the cans and the way that they lay everything out and they have a certain time limit and it's militant and graffiti is everything from that extreme to just being drunk and writing your name on a wall. What about uh, relationships? Have you guys had relationships that have suffered and or oh, ended yeah. because of your art aspirations? You want to start? Yeah, pretty much every single one of them. <laughs> Uh, is that just because of the art there, Jared? Um, it's complicated. It's com yeah, I think that, I guess that was a blanket statement. Um, I've had really good relationships because of art, and I've had relationships and because of art. And at a certain point, someone that is looking in at 
you as an artist and what you do and you're attracted to each other and there you want to be around each other because there's a lot going on into making art and that's really appealing at first i know for me i get so involved in what i'm doing that i don't really pay that much attention sometimes and then after being around someone that is constantly kind of, i end up being kind of selfish i think and i can see how it's like totally draining because it's hard to turn it off you're not making something that is ever really finished until you decide that it's finished or until the deadline hits and sometimes you have to be in a room by yourself or be in a room surrounded by other people and only paying attention to what you're doing and i think that some of my social skills have gotten better and worse because of it certainly my communication with significant others has suffered well, I think to your point about maybe uh, your art has attracted people to you because they're like, oh, I love what you're doing. Right. But maybe the lifestyle that creates that art, whatever that may include, and, you know, in terms of like time commitments or whatever else, they're not so crazy about that. But they like the art, which is a byproduct of how you create yeah. that art. It's hard to explain that you just have to do this thing. And then it's also hard to try to make your life work with someone else's life in a schedule as being a creative person because you could be working on the art of making toast and then decide that you need to go paint right now. So there's a, um, a quote that, that always kind of comes back to me, and this has followed me around for a number of years now. And it's a, a Carl Jung quote, and it goes, the artist's life cannot be otherwise than full of conflicts for two forces are at war with him or her. On the one hand, the common human longing for happiness, satisfaction, and security in life, and on the other, a ruthless passion for creation which may go so far as to override every personal desire. There are hardly any exceptions to the rule that a person must pay dearly for the divine gift of creative fire. That quote um, really kind of follows me around a lot, and I think the majority of my relationships have failed because for me, art always comes first. My current fiance is amazing and wonderful, and she accepts the fact that art for me will always be my first love. And I think that's really what makes our relationship work, you know, because there's just this force inside me where I have to do this. I can't explain why I'm doing it, but this is what I have to be doing. And I'm probably not going to make any money off what I'm doing right now, but I don't care. This is just what I'm... The do. artist is the man, and the man is the artist. Yeah. And, and uh, it's it's a package. Right. Yeah, as for me, I feel like I've had relationships where I wanted the other person to be, like, a muse to me or, like, be another artist. Then I've also had relationships where I I realized that they weren't this this character or this archetype and that I could just, you know, actually be with a person and... And actually my relationship with my art at that point suffered where I wasn't putting forth the effort into the art. I was actually putting it into this person. So it's, it's an interesting balance. And it's also getting back to the point of like the way you walk is an art and uh, the way that you relate with other people is an art. And um, yeah, I'm not creating paintings at that point, but um, I, I'm, I'm working on, on a bigger piece, I think. So yeah. Uh, but right now, it's at a point where it's, it's definitely a balance, and uh, 
art is always there and always like in you so it comes with you it's part of your baggage so and i think with like what you're saying about when relationships make your art suffer or you think that they make your art suffer figuring out how to make that conversation happen is it's insane like i don't think i've ever done it gracefully um do you know any artists that have how do you explain to someone that was trying to express their feelings that i'm sorry i wasn't paying attention because i was thinking about light blue and dark red (laughs) and that sounds really stupid but sometimes you just get thinking about color or a you know a design concept and you can't explain it to most people and i did a horrible job of explaining it just now but i mean that's that's a part of you and and i think your partner has to accept that right and it's it's, it's a hard it's balance crucial for it to survive if it isn't accepted well and i i'm sure when you made that color example just now jared that ricky and sam knew exactly what you were talking about yeah and something all day long and yeah. something you didn't mention <laughs> is that you may have that color combination in your mind or what you're thinking about and it's like i'm sorry i know that we're watching the show right now or we're doing whatever it is we're doing right now but i need to go in the other room and see this thing through because sometimes you know when it's in your mind and you've got something going it's you need to follow it through now or else it may die and that and there are people that are really good at accepting that that's what you have to do and sometimes they stick around and sometimes they decide that they're done with you doing what you need to do because they need to do what they need to do and it's not gonna you know things just don't work and I, I I've gotten okay at accepting that some things aren't relationships aren't just gonna aren't gonna work well I think we finally got around to it I think we summed up <laughs> uh, it's very difficult to be an artist who tries to make it a career for a million different reasons. But obviously I don't even need to ask you why you do it because there's no other option. That's what you want to do. That's what you need to do. Yeah. That's happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's following your bliss. Joseph Campbell. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a certain point where you just can't stop and you won't stop. (laughs) Let's leave it at that. Shall we? Good. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you, Jared. I had a very good time, Tom. I had a great time. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, you know, I'm in the presence of three old friends here, and, and so it's very special for me. Well, I mean, you've watched their art progress and all that, so you must be a very proud Tom Gaffey to sit with these three individuals this evening. Well, yeah. It's, you know, again, it's been such a pleasure for me. Yeah, to watch these guys. Proud. They've, they've done so much on their own. I, when, I, when I use the word proud, it's, it's dangerous for me to do, I think. These guys have done a body of work in their lives already that they should be proud of. It's been my honor and my excitement to be able to watch them do this. It's, that's really fun to watch. It's an honor, Tom. Thank you. 